0: Well, we're in our our second week of our study on Revelation um, that we're going to spend months and months and months because there's just so, 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 so much to look at um, through Revelation alone. And um, my intention was to go by chapter by chapter. But the more that I dig into the the book myself and study and pray and seek the, the guidance and counsel of the Spirit, uh, i don't think that does it justice, and so and I'll explain that to you as we we go through today um If you were not with us last week, we do podcast all of our messages, and the first message in the series is on uh, our podcast. You can look it up by radiance church it 's on all the major platforms, so you can see that there um, i'll kind of briefly overview that in just a second, what we talked about last week, but I want to make one more comment before we get into the message because. We are, we are generally, we're generally like a, we're a white church. I'm just going to call, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call white bread, white bread, okay? And so I got the chance, I always stand in the back during worship, and it's intentional because I got to pace, and I would distract the fool out of you if I was pacing back and forth up here. So I paced back and forth, and that second song, that Blessed Assurance, I saw some of you white folks moving around a little bit. I saw you. I didn't. I didn't choose that song. Brandy chose that one. She was like, "You got to play this one by by David Leonard." I said, "Okay," and standing back there watching you, like, "Hey, it's okay to move around in here. We ain't a bunch of stiff necks. When we get to heaven, guess what? It's gonna be rejoicing and dancing and praising and all that stuff. So why not just let loose right here?" Uh, but it it was kind of funny because y'all ain't got no rhythm, but it's okay. <laughs> And you proved me right, Carolyn, they proved me right on the clapping. As long as they're singing, they're singing. And then when it's time to clap, in between words, I can't sing and clap at the same time. That is also a white person problem as well. So, let's recap what we talked about last week. I just had to throw that out there because what we're going to talk about, Revelation is very deep, Revelation is very wide, Revelation um, for a lot of people is very scary. And I told you last week, the whole point of Revelation is not for us to be fearful but to be firm and rooted in the salvation that Jesus has brought us. All of Scripture, we talked about it last week, is God-breathed. The Holy Spirit has breathed the Scripture out. It is for our benefit that the Scripture exists, so why would we shy away from the final book that's in our Bible? And we shouldn't. And so when we talked last week, I just told you that there is a purpose for all Scripture and Revelation. As part of that, it's for wisdom unto salvation. We need this book so that we understand our salvation a little bit deeper. It is breathed out by the Holy Spirit just like the rest of scripture is, we don't need to ignore it. And it is for the completion of ourselves. It's not just the completion of humanity as we know it, the the eternal struggles over, it's for our completion. It, and I'm going to show you what that looks like today because I told you last week that we're going to talk about the number 7 this week because it's very it's very large and wide, and there, it's it's in there like forty nine times, indirectly and directly, and it plays a prominent role. And I, I kind of as I went back through scripture and was looking at things, it is very clear why it's there. Um, but the final part of what we talked about last week was is that we're looking at we're looking at a vision that's given from God to John. And it is, I told you this, and this is what we're going to build every one of our studies on. It's one set of events broken down into seven segments that's repeated multiple times with increasing intensity. So it's not a chronological viewing because then you read like chapter 11 and then you go to chapter 20. And it's like that kind of sounds like it's the same thing. So did this happen twice? No, it didn't because it's increasing with intensity as John retells the vision and writes it down. And so when you see that and you start to read it through that lens, it's not quite as difficult to understand. And so the whole purpose, and I told you this last week, and I'm going to repeat it again at the end of this message. There is but one purpose, and you can view it through two different ways. Jesus is returning to save, or Jesus is returning to judge. The answer to that question for you is whether or not you are his or you are not. And we want to make sure that we're on the right side of this equation because he's coming. It's one story, one set of events, and either he's coming to save us or he's coming to judge us. And so we, we all are going to stand before the judge at one point, and we shouldn't be fearful of that because we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So don't think that I'm saying you're not going to go through a judgment period, but you're going to stand there and you're going to be judged and it, and God's going to say your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life because you placed your faith and trust in Jesus. That doesn't sound like judgment to me. So that's the point of Revelation. That's what is is ultimately manifesting Jesus is returning to save or Jesus is returning to judge. I, I was studying through... This and came across a, a writer who specifically studies Revelation pretty extensively. His name's Richard Balkum, or Bal- yeah Balkum, and, and he says the effect of John's vision is to expand his reader's world both spatially into heaven and tempor- temporally into the eschatological future. This accords with other ancient Jewish apocalyptic literature like Daniel and some extra-canonical books, but unlike extra-biblical literature. Revelation remains distinctly Christian and Christ-focused. I know that sounds real wordy and educational, but it's a really good way to put this into perspective. And so, before we go through, what, I'm do, what I want to do today is I want to show you the sevens that appear in Scripture in Revelation. We're going to go through all of them today. So, we're going to be here until about five this evening, so y'all just go ahead and buckle. And I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm, a, I, I'm just kidding. Numbers play a huge role in the Bible throughout, not just Revelation. So when you think about it, you've got a whole doctrine that we believe, that I hope you believe, that we have one God. He's in three persons, right? So we have a doctrine of there are 12, there, there were 12 apostles, there are 12 tribes of Judah that, that are, are 12 tribes that are listed in the Old Testament. We've got 40 days that Jesus was in the wilderness, and there was a, you know, 40 days of this and 40 of that, and numbers are a big deal in the Bible. They, There's symbolic meaning to them, but there's also just straightforward, this is a number. And so when we get to that ideology, and we talk about the number 7 as it appears in Revelation, we kind of need to know how we arrive at that. Now, we generally just say the number 7 is a, a number that is defined as perfect. It's perfection, it's completeness, it's whole. And we learn that from a biblical perspective. But have you ever actually been taught why it's perfect? Because if you think about it, like for me, a Trinitarian doctrine would mean that the number three should be perfect, right? Why? Because we have God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, the three persons of the Godhead. So that's a perfect number. It actually is in the Bible a perfect number. We talk about 7 a lot because it comes right after the number 6, which is the number of man. We've generally given that number to Satan, but it's really not. It's a it's our number. And then in scripture in the Revelation specifically, we see that number repeated 3 times. You see where I'm going? It's repeated 3 times, so we get the number 666. So we've always thought 666, but it's not. It's a repetition of 6 three times. Which makes humanity diabolical. It's a diabolical repetition, is what it is. It's an imperfect way of trying to uh, represent perfection. Why it's repeated three times, and so you get that number, and then you get to the number seven, and we think that it's just because, like, I've even heard people explain it this way: Well, seven's one more than six, that's why it's perfect. Well, that's defining it from a human perspective. Like we forgot God in that that equation altogether. But there actually is a biblical way of understanding this. And I want to show you this so we understand seven before we even get into all the sevens in Revelation. So if the Godhead that we believe in is a Trinitarian God and he's represented by three persons. All distinct in nature but all one person. Try explaining that to somebody without the Holy Spirit being involved in that conversation. How many times have you tried to explain that to somebody and they look at you like, that's not possible? It's not on this side of eternity, but it is when you understand spiritually what God's done. This God in three persons has been present from the beginning of time. I've taught on that before where Jesus is just as present in creation as he is in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit is present in creation just as he is throughout the entirety of the Bible. God the Father is present throughout. But there's also another number that if you, if you, uh, if you can add today, which I hope you can. If you have three, what does it take for us to get to seven? Heck, good job. We can add. Three plus four actually equals seven. Well, do you know what four represents in the Bible? Four actually represents the world. So the, the seven perfection is actually not just about God. It's about the completeness of his creation. So then when we start talking about all these sevens in Revelation... You've got God as a part of the equation, and then you add four to that, which is the world. Then you get seven, which is the completion or the fulfillment or the the wholeness of what God's original intent for humanity in Genesis was all the way to Revelation. Can I prove it to you? John 3.16, most famous passage for telling people that Jesus loves them. Right? You can recite it, can't you? What does John 3.16 tell us? It says that for God so loved me... He says, for God so loved the world, in all of its plurality, and all of its craziness, and all of this, all the nonsense, he loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever out of that world would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Alright, so we understand that. So we've got God in three persons, the world. Well, Michael, that doesn't say anything about the number four. Well, You're right there, but you're, you're also... A little bit off because when we think about God in three persons, it, this one's kind of difficult because a Trinitarian doctrine. I'm gonna say this, and I, I, there's a there is a fellow pastor in the room today. Brother Sam is here with us this morning, and Brother Sam's gonna speak at the end of our service. If you're not familiar who Brother Sam is, he's he is a, uh, a not just a friend of this house, but a part of this house. Um, as we have been praying with and helping support, his, there's cards out front of Brother Sam where they have been planting churches in, uh, in, in India. And he just got home just a couple weeks ago and he's fellowshipping with us today. Uh, but the, the Trinitarian doctrine that we know as the God in three persons is not an explicit teaching. Did you know that? There's no place in the Bible that explicitly says that we serve a God who is in three persons. There are allusions to that. So Jesus would say things like in John 10, I and the Father are one. And then you go to where Paul is writing in like 2 Corinthians chapter 13, it says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. All three are present, but it's never explicitly just said God is three persons, and here's the reason we believe it. It's very similar to a lot of other things that we deal with in scripture. It's it's got some symbolism attached to it, but it is absolutely true, and we one hundred percent still believe it. And so, when we had, when we start looking at the world, we believe in one God in three persons, but we also believe in the, the the numerology behind the number four as well. And you can see that take place. Revelation chapter seven being a prime example of that. Revelation chapter seven it says, "After this, I saw four angels standing at the." Four corners of the earth holding back the four winds of the earth. Alright, so what are the four corners of the earth? Well, we all know the earth's flat, right? Hey, let me throw that out there and make everybody angry. But there's a point behind it. It's the number four that's attached to the entirety of the world. Go to Ezekiel chapter 7. It says, And you, O son of man, thus says the Lord God, To the land of Israel, an end, the end has come upon the four corners of the land. He's directly attaching the number four to the world as a whole. Then you get into Matthew, Matthew chapter 24. It says, he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So there it is multiple times, and I could give you more references to it. So when we add those numbers together, four represents the world. We believe in a Trinitarian God in three persons. We arrive at the number seven that we're going to deal with in Revelation. So I mentioned this already, but I mentioned it again. Revelation is not a chronology of events. Revelation is a recapitulation of events. That's just a fancy way of saying it's one vision that is told from multiple angles, so if you're a football fan and you see the play play out and it's there's a flag on the play or they're reviewing a touchdown or whatever you want to do it, guess what they inter inter- intervene in that situation. You don't get to just see the live feed anymore. you get to see the goalpost cam and the you get to see the the side marker and the the uh, the above view. you get to see this view and that view. It's the same thing happening, right? But there's a hundred different views that you can now look at to get a good picture of what you're seeing. That's what we have in Revelation. It just happens to be a story that plays out. I don't want to call it a story because that's a bad way to put it. It is the event of all events because it is more than a story. So don't hear what I'm not saying when I say that. It is is an event that is taking place that is constantly being added to in intensity as you go through the book. And so the way that we're going to look at this, and this is the reason why I don't believe we're going to go chapter by chapter, we're going to take it section by section, and then we may go back and do chapter by chapter. Because the first part of this storytelling you find in Revelation 1 one through 3.22. So the entirety of the first three chapters of Revelation bear out the same story that you're going to see the remainder of the way. You just don't see all of the details that are already there. You see the first portion Of those details. And so when Revelation 1 opens, Revelation 1 1 through 3 tells us the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, blessed are those who hear it. Take it to heart, what is written in it, because the time is near. So the first seven that comes up, which is this this chapter, this is the opening of the letter all the way through chapter 3, is a sign, the first seven is the warning and who this is actually addressed to. So John spends his time writing first about who we're talking to. We're talking to seven churches. In the first three verses of this statement that are on the screen right now, there is several statements that are referenced here that are attached to the number seven as well. So we're not just talking about where it says seven churches and seven letters. We're talking about there are repetitions of seven, even in words that are important throughout the entire book of (laughs) Revelation. And so you see that in this, we know that the addressing of this is to the church. But in here, he says... The first of the Beatitudes. You remember the Beatitudes from back in Matthew? There's actually nine Beatitudes that are listed in Matthew. But blessed are, which is, this is where the first one, blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart. This is the first time it's mentioned. But guess how many times that comes up? Exactly seven in the book of Revelation. And so that comes up seven different times. And he says, blessed are, and then there is a statement attached to that. So you've got... There's seven messages right there on just the blessed are statements of Revelation. They're all, they are all also attached to the blessed are statements, the Beatitudes that Jesus preached on that are in Matthew. So you have that in this very first section. If you think about this, you also have the world being present because of who he's addressing. He's saying, anybody, this is for Everybody. But the ones that are going to be blessed are the ones who hear it, take it to heart what is written, because the time is near. So the world's present there, but also our God in three persons is present here as well. And so there's another seven that's attached to that. What Jesus is saying here is, he's already said once in John 15, he told us that if you were of this world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of this world... I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And so that's why the blessed statement is listed there very early on in John's writing. And Jesus, it's not accidental that Jesus just kind of comes into the picture and says, Oh, by the way, you're blessed if you read this and you, you, know, you take it to heart. He's already told the world, he's already told the church this. If you're not part of the world, they're going to hate you for it. And what's fixing to happen The reason that I said what I said last week, that either Jesus is coming to save or Jesus is coming to judge, if you're on the side of judgment, you hate this. You don't like what comes next. You get mad anytime somebody brings it up or somebody says something about, hey, I'm looking out for your soul just like I'm looking out for mine. I want to make sure that you're in a place of repentance in your life and not living like those that are going to be judged. Guess what they do? They get offended by that. Jesus said, the world's going to hate us for it. Not because we're hateful. They're going to hate us because we're pointing out truth, even trying to do it gracefully. Especially today, even trying to do it gracefully. They ain't hearing it. And Jesus told us, blessed are those, and we can hang on to this truth, blessed are those who hear it and who take it to heart. So that's us. That's those of us who do it. But you also have in this, you're going to find out in just a few moments throughout these three chapters, you've got seven letters that are written to seven churches. The seven spirits are mentioned, the seven stars. And what I've already mentioned, the first reference to the Beatitudes, the blessed are statements are listed here as well. All of this is not going to be on the screen, but I will put it as an attachment on the podcast. So if you don't get the notes for all these sevens and you want them, I'll get them to you. They'll just be attached to the description of the podcast later this week. Um, But you also have in these first three chapters, you have the first references of multiple different things. The first one being the sword of Christ or Christ's sword is referenced seven different times. And this is the first area that it comes up. The word sharp is mentioned seven different times when speaking not only about the sword, but also of the word, that the word of this prophecy and the word in general. Candlestick is used seven times. The first one comes up in these first three chapters. Christ's blood is mentioned seven different times. It's funny how all this stuff is like perfectly laid out to seven. Christ's name is referenced seven specific times. The word prophecy comes up seven different times. The word kingdom comes up seven different times. The right hand of God comes up seven different times. Starting in these three chapters. The words come quickly. Comes up seven different times because here's like I'm just going to kind of throw this in there. The reason that that's there in its perfect state is, as this starts, it's still it's going to be rough, and so John references this seven perfect times to say, "God, please come quickly in the midst of all this, not for the benefit of the church, but for the benefit everybody's going to endure it. Come quickly." Comes up seven times. Jesus lives is proclaimed seven times exactly. ...throughout the book of Revelation and the statement, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches... ...appears all seven times in the first three chapters, in the letters as they close to every single one of the churches. So, we have a ton of references just in the first three chapters, but it's just the first three chapters. So when you get into the second section... Revelation chapter 4 verses uh, uh, verse 1 all the way through Revelation 7 verse 17 which is the entirety of those chapters we have what what you can look at as it's a, a the deepening of the revelation not only of the who that we saw in the first three chapters but of now what's going to be taking place in general terms and so the seven churches that we know are specific churches. They were real, live churches that were alive and well when this was given to John. They historically existed. They're real. They are also symbolically referenced in the inter, inter-advent period. So if you know, don't know what that means, it's just a fancy way of saying the time between Jesus' first coming and the time between the second coming. So we're in that right now. And so the seven churches also show attributes. They show their work and lack thereof. They show their motivations. And you can't just apply that to like ourselves individually. I mean, you can. But you also apply it to the church that you see today. How many churches do we see that are just very apathetic about the things of God? They gather so that they feel good once a week, and they go home, and they're miserable. And they gather because we need some self-help, and I can't help myself. There ain't nothing in me that can help me. I'm my own worst enemy most of the time. And if you're honest, most of you probably feel the same way. So we're dealing with that, and it's this second section is just a deepening of that reference. So Revelation 4, 1 through seven seventeen, And so in this one, we have the seven lampstands that appear, and we have not only seven lampstands, but we have the seven seals that are mentioned. We have seven horns mentioned. There's seven eyes represented to us as well within uh, these chapters. You have the first, uh, and in some of these, that you've got the second or third references to them. You have the first reference to earthquakes. There are seven total references to earthquakes in Revelation. You have... Uh, Again, the reference to Christ's blood. And in this instance, these three chapters actually mention that four of the seven times that Christ's blood is mentioned. And it's in this section. The right hand of God is mentioned again. The word day and night appears for the first time. And it shows up seven times total within the framework of Revelation. Come quickly appears multiple times in this section as well. And you also have Jesus lives once again appearing in this section. It's funny because... I don't want to say this directly, but I think if I remember correctly, I didn't put it in my notes. Jesus lives appears once every section that we're talking about. So for every section that I'm listing in these seven sections, Jesus lives, shows up in all seven sections, which is kind of cool to me because it's kind of, to me, it it, it kind of affirms the idea of what I'm trying to really relate to you about how Revelation is actually laid out but you also in this section have the reference to the 144,000, and we can get into all of that. The throne of God is mentioned there, the 24 elders, and the four living creatures appear as well. So there's some more numerical value for you in that section. The third section that we're going to deal with in Revelation is going to be Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, all the way through Revelation eleven nineteen, 19, which is the entirety of those passages as well. It's the third seven that takes us even different, uh, even deeper, but shows us uh, a little bit of a, a different view of the pattern of judgment uh, that's going to be that that then will follow salvation. That will be followed by salvation, I should say. We have seven angels appear here. The seven trumpets are a part of this section of scripture. We have reference to seven thunders, seven thousand men. We see seven areas of creation, the earth, the sea, rivers, heavens, the pit of the abyss, the river Euphrates, and lightning and hail all show up in this section. Seven different elemental factors that are all connected to the earth as it appears in judgment. As well as the first reference to God's prophets, which will be referenced seven total times throughout Revelation. Three of the seven references to earthquakes are found in this section because this is the intensifying of judgment. That's followed by salvation, as I've already mentioned. Um, The final time the word candlestick appears is here. So candlestick or lampstand, we've talked about those, and you've heard those taught about the churches. So this is kind of where I've heard preachers preach before that after chapter 3, the church isn't present until like chapter 19 or something like that in Revelation. But the candlestick is still part of the connection to the church. And so there is some that may say that that's why the church is still present here. That's why I've always told you, I'm going to prepare you like we're going to go through hell and then find out that we're going to miss all of it. And it'll just be like, yay, we didn't have to go through that. Then to say, oh, you're not going to go through all this, so it doesn't matter. And then you get there and you go, "Why? why are we going through this hell? Because we were misinformed about something. Um, So that's the last reference to candlestick is in this section of scripture. Um, The second time the word prophecy appears, the second time the word kingdom is referenced, the first two times the word saints appear. There's a third reference to day and night in this section, the fourth reference to come quickly, and the sixth reference to Jesus lives. No, that's not right. I misprinted that. I'm sorry. We also see Jesus return from a second angle, increasing in intensity as the 24 elders worship God. And so I already mentioned this, but I mentioned it again here. Revelation 11 and Revelation 20 are the same event viewed from different angles, is the best way that I could put it simply. So we move on to the fourth section, which is Revelation chapter 12 through Revelation 14, 20. It's an even even greater detail of the second coming if you read it chronologically behind chapter 11. Um, That's where a lot of confusion sets in, uh, which is why we're trying to read it progressively because it looks like, okay, why did chapter 11 have all of this intensity? And then you get to 12, and it's like, I kind of feel like this is repeating some things that happened previous. And so that's why we want to look at it from the proper perspective instead of looking at it in a chronological view. We have seven angels again, the seven heads and the seven crowns. The second reference to the Beatitudes or Blessed Are statements, the fourth reference of Christ's sword, the third reference to the word sharp, the sixth reference to Christ's blood, Uh, Christ's name referenced the book of life, the second time that it's referenced, first reference to the word judgment, third time kingdom appears, the last time the right hand appears, the third through fifth reference to the saints, another reference to day and night, which is the fourth and fifth, and every single reference to the word voices comes up in chapter 14. That's a total of seven times. You also have the great dragon appear. Satan is there as well. And you have the bloody winepress that is mentioned in this section of scripture. The fifth repetition of the story comes in Revelation chapter 15 through 16, 21. It's, again, an increased intensity and a finality of God's wrath. So when you get to the end of chapter sixteen verse twenty one you see the end of wrath kind of come about being poured out, and it would be difficult to understand that here if you didn 't go back to like chapter twelve and read this in like a sequence as one set of events. It kind of looks like it would kind of it would be confusing is why most people get confused about this you 've got the seven angels are a continuation of the seven angels being referenced. The plagues, the vials or bowls, whichever way uh, it's translated, you have the last reference to earthquakes. The blessed are statements are there. Uh, Christ's name is referenced. Judgments referenced. The kingdoms referenced. God Almighty is referenced three times, uh, and Jesus lives appears once again in this section as well. Um, when we get down to the sixth section of scripture, you have Revelation seventeen one through nineteen twenty one. Again, it's, it's just another recapitulation, another angle of showing uh, what has happened in the judgment of the world. We see the fall of Babylon that would be uh, implied to have taken place during the previous event. So if the judgment ended at the end of chapter 16, this is telling you just another portion of what's already happened. So like, you ever watched a movie? I'm just, I keep going back to kind of remind you of this. You've watched a movie, and then they go back and they say 20 minutes earlier. And they show you what happened 20 minutes earlier. You're still watching the same movie. It's the same set of events. They're just retelling something that took place that they didn't show you the first time. Right? So that's what John's doing here. He's telling you about the fall of Babylon. He's telling you um, about the beasts and the false prophets all being cast in the lake of fire. All that's taking place in coordination with what's already happened. It's not a separate event, but a retelling with different details, we see the angel referenced again. Seven heads are referenced. The bowls and judgments are referenced. Mountains uh, are judged are referenced here. Uh, kings are referenced as well as God's prophets. There's another blessed statement. The final uh, three references to Christ's sword are referenced here. The word sharp, Christ's name, the book of life, prophecy, judgment. The last two times the word of kingdom appears. The saints for the sixth time and God Almighty once again appears here. And then we get to the seventh and final portion of the story of Revelation which is chapter 20 through the end of chapter 22 and chronologically it would appear that this would be what looks like another battle so there's not multiple battles, there's one battle that's going to take place and John's once again giving you further detail about what is going to take place and here you have the great dragon Satan finally being cast in the lake of fire in a completion of the events that have already taken place and so you have Uh, him being bound for a thousand years and you you know that he's unable to deceive the world and then he's released again you have the new heaven the new earth appearing god dwells with his people forever with no more suffering sin and death and that's like the very basic overview of the last three chapters of revelation in this final seven there are no explicit sevens listed So the explicit sevens are the seven churches, the seven bowls, the seven this and the seven that. There aren't any in these last three chapters. Why? Because it's finished. So the completion is done. It's here now. So there's no reference to any explicit sevens. But there are some closing of the the implicit, the ones that are referenced throughout, of sevens. God's prophets are mentioned a final two times. The final three blessed statements appear in these last three chapters. You have the book of life mentioned four of seven times in these chapters. It's pretty important down the stretch. Prophecy is mentioned four of seven times. This book mentioned seven times in chapter 22 alone. The last time judgment appears is in the first part of chapter 20. The saints, God Almighty, day and night, the bottomless pit, and come quickly all appear within chapter 20. And that's the last time that they are all references. So I know this is more of a like teachy type moment today. This is not a preachy type moment. And some of you are looking at me like, this is ridiculous. We need to be able to lay this out so we kind of understand, because this is how we're going to kind of approach Revelation over these next several weeks. And so we're not just going to look at chapter one. We're going to look at chapters one through three. We're going to see what God does in those areas. And I wanted to be able to I like numbers, and I like to be able to kind of put that out there in front of you because God uses those to show us symbolically some things. And the important part of this is, you may walk away and say, I don't really know the importance. The importance is still the same importance that it was when we talked last week. This is, it's simple. This is one set of events repeated seven times, each with increasing intensity. And the entire point is that Jesus is returning to save or he's returning to judge. And depending on where our stance is before this time determines whether or not he's coming to save us or to judge us. So church, we want to be on the side of salvation in this. And I want to close with the last words that are written in Revelation chapter 22 today. It says, look, I am coming soon. Now, God's time is so much different than our time. And so when we say coming soon, when this was written, it still ain't soon. Because it's been a thousand years, multiple thousand years at this point. But for God, he's like, this is soon. And God's saying, I'm trying to give every single person the opportunity not to fall under judgment for this. Because I, I want my purpose and why John 3.16 is written Because I love this world and I want this world to come into salvation and live in its perfected state the way that it's intended. But there's going to come a point where that time is up. And that's why Jesus says here to John, I am coming soon and it's over with. You don't have time anymore. He says, my reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. He's either coming to save Or he's coming to judge. He said, I'm going to give you what you deserve. Here's my reward. Well, that doesn't sound like a reward. Well, it is. It's a reward for whether or not you came into salvation or you decided to thumb your nose at salvation and say, forget it. I'm going to live my way. You got your reward. He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, from the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside of the dogs, those who practice magic arts, sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And then the final thing is this. It says in verse 16, and I put this up there separately. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and Morning Star. Like, don't forget it. we got to remember who we're dealing with when we when we approach the book of Revelation. No matter how deep we go into this book of prophecy, no matter what conclusion we might find ourselves in, and then go back and study it later and change that conclusion, the only thing that matters, there is but one point. If I am His, He's coming to save me. I'm going to keep repeating this. If I am His... He is coming to save. If I am not, he is coming to judge. So church, the only question that we can ask ourselves is, where do I stand in that reality right now? Is he coming to get me? Or is he coming to get me? You can see, you can you can hear the difference in tone and inflection. Is he coming to get me? Or is he coming to get me? Cuz I want I want the suffering Savior to come get me. Not the righteous judge that I deserve, but I've already submitted myself to the righteous judge by the suffering Savior. And that's where we all have to find ourselves. And I pray that for each one of you, that's where you find yourself. And the deeper we go into this word, the deeper you are in your conviction for what this word is doing in you. That its intent is not for us to just learn something new about the Bible. It's so that we are changed spiritually to be able to stand securely in the salvation that Christ has offered. All of humanity, but only those who have received it can have it. That's why it's a free gift of eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So, if you're his, he's coming to save. If you're not, he's coming to judge.